will be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's uh, on page 986. 986, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9. And it reads, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of re reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you be with us as we research and go into your word, dear Lord, uh, how you have already planned for us uh, the message, the sermon, and be with Pastor. Help him, uh, enrich him through your word, uh, and how he uh, presents it to us, but most of all, our hearts that will be open and receptive to your word this morning. We pray this in your holy name. All right, thank you, Richard, for reading our text today and standing uh, in place of uh, Chuck while he is away, so thank you so much for doing that. And luckily, you got a short passage to read, too, so that was nice, right? One verse we're going to be covering today um, as we continue in our series here on our vision renewal, uh, thankful for the foundations of our gathering, growing, and giving, and that really comes from our mission statement here at GLC. We Gathering, uh, gathering for the gospel, growing in the gospel, and giving out the gospel for God's glory. And it's our hope that God would receive all the glory and praise. A couple things I do want to uh, mention um, as we uh, go into, before we get into the sermon. Um, so um, first off, we, we had to cancel our Wednesday night gathering last week because of weather. We're hoping that... Uh, that's not God's decision for every Wednesday night, but uh, it's up to him. I mean, so, but if, if as long as the weather holds out, hopefully you'll come out with us. We're going to be working through the New City Catechism. Uh, we're going to be two, doing two of the questions each week. So next week we'll be doing questions one and two. So if you want to get a head start looking at those, uh, you're welcome to. Uh, I do have a number of the New City Catechisms printed out. So if after the service, if you want to get one ahead of time, you're welcome to uh, grab one of those. Uh, from me, and uh, you can start start working on it. It is intergenerational, so we're going to have older people and younger people and adults and kids, and so, yep, kids are going to judge you adults on how well your memory is, all right? So just be ready for it, and then talking through uh, those questions, uh, some of the discussion questions that we do do each week is, why is this question an important question to ask? And why is this answer an important answer to know? And uh, we start off with, uh, what is our only hope in life and death? I mean, that seems like a pretty important question. So, um, so that we belong, both body and soul, both to God, both in life and death. So hopefully you'll come out and uh, join us for that. Next week, we do have a special guest that's going to be with us. I'll still be preaching, uh, but we have a missionary uh, with Ethnos 360. It used to be New Tribes. So uh, Jezekiel is his name. And uh, so we're going to have him uh, with us. He's going to share about his ministry. So he's been recommended to us by Tim Carmichael. Many of you know Tim. And uh, we, were, we were looking at the possibility even of supporting Tim Carmichael and presenting that to the church. But Tim uh, is already fully funded, so, which is amazing. That's praise the Lord for that. So, so uh, he said, well, 
Um, since you can't support me, uh, maybe I'll send you some recommendations. So here's one of the guys. Uh, he's a younger guy, but grew up in uh, Papua New Guinea. So his parents have been missionaries in Papua New Guinea for 23 years. Came back and uh, did some classes with New Tribes, and then went into their missions class and graduated from there. And so now he's looking to go back to uh, Papua New Guinea. So um, Tim asked if we would have him in. He's young, so he needs some experience. So he thought we'd be a great church for him to be able to present some of his ministry to. So we're going to have him. He's going to share for about 20 minutes in the service. And then uh, I'll be preaching from Colossians. And it's just amazing how God causes things to fit. I mean, his desire is to take the Bible to uh, these small tribes who don't have a Bible in their language, their native language. And then we're going to be preaching on, uh, I'm going to be introducing our Colossians series. And uh, the theme of that week is thankfulness for divine revelation and how God has revealed himself through his word and so it kind of fits together so I'm excited how God does that so you know we plan but we, we don't know the future but God does uh, the other thing I wanted to mention I just want us to take a minute to pray about it so uh, I was talking with Mario uh, yesterday and he's looking to start a uh, men's study at the PRC so um, there's a number of men that come in uh, with uh, their respective other, um, whether it's their wife or their girlfriend or whoever, um, as she's coming in to get an ultrasound or to talk about pregnancy. And uh, currently there's not a lot going on to reach out to those guys. And so uh, Mario's been talking with the PRC about the possibility of doing that. So we just want to pray over that, that God would direct them and give them wisdom as they seek to try to do that. And use them and and there's a couple other people in our church i think who are who are interested in being involved as well so i just want to take a moment and pray regarding that hasn't kicked off yet hasn't started we don't know what god has in store um but just like with christianity explored we know that god's place places things in our heart for a reason and maybe even the vision that we have won't end up being what it is but he can use what we do for his honor and for his glory so i want to pray for mario and for the other guys and the people in charge there. Father, we give thanks to you uh, for the fact that you have called us out of darkness into your glorious light, that we are your people, you are our God. And in turn, you have, you have granted us a new life and a new purpose, a purpose that we could not fulfill apart from you. And in that purpose, there are, there are many avenues in which you call us to live out your mission to further your kingdom, to proclaim your name, your glory to the people that live around us. And this is just one way. Lord, the, each of us here have people in our spheres and people who have, we have relationship with and opportunities to share gospel. Each of us have these opportunities all around us. And I pray that we would take advantage of them. And this specific one that you're leading Mario into and other people at the PRC into planning and preparing and to seeking to reach out to these guys, Lord, what an opportunity to glorify your name, to present, to present these men with the glorious good news of the gospel that can radically change their life, that can bring hope beyond anything imaginable. Or the abundant life that you give is far more abundant than we even imagine stepping into it. As, we, as we're going to look at conversion today, that, that act of turning away from sin to you is such a, a dramatic choice in our life. And yet, at that moment, we don't even fathom what comes with it. All the abundance that comes through Jesus Christ. 
all the strength that comes to face the trials of life, all, all the, the rest that comes when we cast our cares on you, all the hope that we have in the fact that while life may be difficult, that the promise of life eternal with you outweighs all that we might face. Lord, what a dramatic, what a dramatic change the gospel brings to us and the opportunity to, to share this with these men. Oh, Lord, may you use this time. May you give uh, wisdom to Mario and to uh, Libby and Amy and, and Ruth as they plan for this, as they, others as they get involved in that. Give them opportunities uh, not only to present the gospel, but then to show the love of Christ to these men. May, may you do work in that ministry there, Lord. Today, as we come to your word, Lord, bless your word. May it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we drink of it and be satisfied today. We don't pray this for ourselves, but for faith, Bible, Crossbridge, the Ridge Road up the road, Mosaic, Larkin, the mission in Anoka. We pray that you would you would bless your people with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to be finishing up our vision renewal series, and so we're looking at the foundations of gither- giving. We look at the foundations of gathering, which was justification. We're justified through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a work of God alone that he does. It's all of grace, and uh, so... We come as his people because of the work that he's done. We look at foundation for growing. It's our sanctification. That, that as we have been saved, so we have been called, created in Jesus Christ, as Ephesians 2 said, for good works. And called to live out. It is God's will we looked at in 1 Thessalonians 4. Our sanctification. It's what God wants of us. And what God is working out in us. And, and while justification is all of God, sanctification is a grace from God that we, that we participate in. That we come together with this grace of God, empowerment of God to live out in our daily lives. And that's how we see growth occur. And it's progressive. And yeah, sometimes, sometimes some days are better than others. Some days we fight sin better and some days we give in to sin but we're becoming, God's using us as we, as we trust in him, as we, as we continue to, to, to put on the armor of God, as we continue to fight against sin, as we continue to seek to live out his love and show his love in the world. He's, he's making us more like Jesus Christ. Like Romans 8, all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to purpose. Why? To conform us to the image of his son. That's our growth. And the gospel, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to be looking at the foundation of our giving out the gospel. And so the main point of today is this. You are to live in thankfulness to God for the grace that converts you. Converts you. And so we're going to look today at conversion and how it is significant in the life of uh, every Man, woman, and child, every human being, the need of conversion and what that call is. And in turn, how, how understanding conversion is meant to motivate us. I, I mean, I, 
I'm not going to stop preaching, but I could almost stop preaching by just saying, remember your conversion. What God has done in you should be the motivator for then giving out the gospel to others. The place you once were and the place you are now. And you, you say, well, I was saved at three. I was saved at six. I mean, how big of a sinner was I? Listen, you're a big enough sinner for God to judge you by his wrath for an eternity. Whether you're three, whether you're six, whether you're 21, whether you're 55, all, all of us are sinners. And it's funny, the, the more you grow in sanctification, the more of a sinner you realize that you are. And the greater the joy of conversion. But in turn, when you understand that this response that occurs in you, turning from sin, turning to God, like, that's what you should want for every person around you. Even your greatest enemy. Like, what do they need? They need to be converted. And that is, this is the power of God. He converts people. And so we see this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. We see this description of the conversion of the Thessalonians. For they themselves report concerning you the kind of reception we had among you. We'll look at that in a minute. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So that's what we're going to focus on today. The first question, just like the last two series, is what is conversion? What is conversion? So again, we're going to go to our pastoral team's affirmation of faith. We're going to read what we affirm here and talk a little bit about what conversion is. So we believe that all mankind, because of Adam's sin, is born spiritually dead. The sinful condition separates them from God and leads to eternal death. Now, it's important to understand that you can't really talk about conversion unless you talk about sin. What do you convert from? <laughs> what do you turn from if you don't understand that you're sinful? All mankind, spiritually dead because of Adam's sin, but then their sinful condition, their, their own sinfulness, separates them from God, leading to eternal death. The only way man can be rescued from the sinful, sinful condition is by the regenerating grace of God. We believe that all whom God elects will surely be made spiritually alive, receive the effectual call of the Holy Spirit, and respond in faith and repentance to the preaching of the gospel. So here we have a, a number of aspects of salvation. So we have regeneration, we have the, the, the spiritual aliveness that, that occurs, we have things like election and effectual call, but we're focusing in on on conversion and conversion is really described in that very last line they respond in faith and repentance to the preaching of the gospel that's how we understand conversion it is the response that we have to the gospel and that response is twofold but those two things are inseparable faith and repentance so what is conversion Four things. It's a response to God's work. It's a response to God's work. Conversion is not our work. All right? We, we kind of looked at that in justification a bit. It's not, it's not us, but God at work, grace, God's given. So it's a response, though. It's, it's as we see God's work, we 
respond. But that response is not a work of our own, but rather just an understanding, an affirmation, and an embracing of the work of God. It's a response to the gospel. Notice how he says it was, it was the response of faith and repentance to what? The preaching of the gospel. Which in turn means that no one is saved apart from hearing the gospel. I mean, this is what Paul says. How will they believe unless what? Unless they hear. And how will they hear unless what? Someone preaches to them. And how will they preach to them unless they're sent? So thus we go back to Matthew 28 and you know, we're to make disciples, but what's the first way in which we make disciples? We go. Go in what way? In what sense? Like, you know, Jesus is not saying you just stand around there, you know. Go find those unsaved people and just be there. No, go, go implies what? The, it implies going with the truth of the gospel of who Jesus is and taking that gospel to them. So it is a response to the gospel. So we have to understand there's no conversion apart from that. That's significant for us to understand. You think about the people that you know that are unsaved, maybe the people that you dearly love that are unsaved. Realize this, if they don't hear the gospel, they will not be converted. The bottom line. So as much as you love them, as much as you want them to be saved, as much as you pray for them, realize this. They don't hear the gospel. They can't respond to it. I'm not limiting God here. This is the way God has ordained the means of conversion to occur. God in His infinite wisdom has placed means there. Means that are meant to cause conversion. So through His grace, through His work, He uses the means of the... the, of the uh, what does Paul describe it as? Like the, the, the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> that people aren't responding. Only God's plan. Realize this. If you're praying but you're never sharing the gospel... You don't understand the means that God uses to bring conversion. So this is, that's a significant one as well. Then there's the response of repentance. Repentance is the recognition of your sinfulness. The recognition of how sin dominates you. How sin affects every part of you. How sin makes you unworthy of God makes you a recipient of his just and righteous judgment and wrath. Repentance is a recognition of your sinfulness, a turning from it. Now, it, one, it, it takes a knowledge of sin, right? You have to understand some aspect about sin. And there are many people in our society who don't think they are sinners. Or at least they say, I'm not that bad. Like, one, obviously they, they're lacking a little bit of knowledge on how holy God is, right? And how sinful their sinfulness is. How much sinfulness taints you? What does James say? If you, if you break the law in one part, you've broken it all. That one sin taints every part of us. Now, that's not to say that every sin is exactly the same. 
Uh, it's important to understand that in the eyes of God and his judgment, and his eternal judgment for sin, every sin is the same. Every sin condemns us to an eternity in hell. Have you ever thought about that? And you're just like, you said an a, a angry word to your spouse or to your children this morning, and you're on your way. Do you realize that God condemns people to an eternity in sin because of that? Or eternity in hell because of that? Whew. The weight of every single sin should just hit us like tons of bricks. And, and yet, at the same time, we understand that not every sin is as toxic temporarily. Not every sin in, in our temporal world gains the same consequences right now. Like some sin, God has, God has ordained that certain sins will affect you more right now than others. We have to understand that. There is, there is both a similarity to all sins and a distinction of sins. So you saying a mean word to your kids as opposed to you hitting your kids, there, there's some different consequences there. There's some different, um, there's some different repercussions that occur. Right? They're not the same brokenness. They're not the same toxicity in now time, in real time. But ultimately, eternally, they are both just as sinful and condemning you to an eternity in hell. That's how sinful we are. That's how holy God is. Um, so some have used the, uh, the uh, Ten Commandments as a, as a means to help people understand their sinfulness. Because sometimes, again, we want to minimize our sinfulness. And when we minimize or justify our sinfulness, we move away from repentance. In fact, we have, we have situations in Scripture that describe for us this moving away from repentance. What does Paul say? There is a worldly sorrow that does not lead to repentance. Or we go to Hebrews and we read about um, Esau who was sorrowful over losing his birthright, sorrowful for losing his blessing, but could not arrive at repentance. Because it's, it's, it's not the same thing to feel bad about your sin. You have to understand the eternal ramifications of your sin in light of a holy So, you know, some people use the Ten Commandments. Have you ever broken the Ten Commandments? And there's some people that oh, like the rich young ruler. I've kept them all the days of my life. Uh, and, and I think I think the rich young ruler was sincere. I think he was a sincere Jew. Very likely, if he had broke, he probably did break the Ten Commandments. I mean, we know that from Jesus, but um, and challenging him on giving away everything he had. But But even if he had broken them, what could he do? He could go to the temple. He could make a sacrifice, and that would be covered. And so maybe he was a good Jew that had taken care of it in the way that the Mosaic Law describes. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, even, even the covering of the Lamb doesn't deny your sinfulness. I mean, even the covering of Jesus Christ doesn't deny your sinfulness. His death is only necessary because of our sinfulness. But they use the Ten Commandments. So have you ever stolen anything? Even a paperclip from me. Even a pen. You know, have you... Have you ever cheated on anything? Have you ever lied? 
Oh, only a white lie? You know, that's still a lie, right? <laughs> you think God cares, you know, if it was, if it was meant for good? <laughs> meant to save someone from, from some kind of harm or whatever? Uh, the fact that you still lie? Have you, ever, have you ever killed someone? They're like, ah, oh, that's what I can say. No, I've never done that. No murder here. And then Jesus says, if you've ever hated someone in your heart, the same is to me in your heart. Have you ever hated? Mental murder? Have you ever lusted? You know, they'd go to the Ten Commandments because you're committed adultery. No, never done that. Again, Jesus, what does he say? You lusted after someone in your mind. You've committed adultery. You've broken that law. That law of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself means that the law of love defines all the Ten Commandments. And that's what Jesus just does. He just says, all right, how do we process this through the idea of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself? And we fall short. And therefore, and that's part of conversion, we have to understand that we fall short. That we we have sinned because without we having sinned we don't need repentance we do each of us needs to turn from the sin that enslaves us it's a response of repentance but it's also a response of faith that turning from sin then turns towards something else the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. We saw that under justification. We see that here. Verse 9, we read how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Then notice verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Who are they putting their trust in? Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, some people see that... Uh, eschatologically, I read the wrath soteriologically. See, later in 1 Thessalonians where he says, we have been saved by Jesus. We have salvation in Jesus from wrath. I see that as the eternal wrath that awaits all humanity. And in Jesus, we have been saved from it. Right? We have to put our faith in him. We have to trust in him. We have to believe that he is the one who delivers us. And, and faith is, is acknowledging, it's a knowledge, it's, it's an intellectual understanding of some truths, right? We have to understand who Jesus, how do we put our trust in an object we don't know, right? We can't do that. We have to know who Jesus is. Again, how can someone respond to the gospel if they don't know the gospel? And how can someone trust Jesus if they don't know Jesus? And sometimes we we, we, we need to share a simple gospel, but then we need to realize that oftentimes people have questions. What does that mean? Who is this Jesus? We describe him as the Son of God. What does that mean? And why, why is he able to take our sin? We have to explain how he's God, so he's sinless, so he's perfect. So let's read through the gospel. Let's look at his life. I mean, this is a life that none of us could have lived. And we look at his, his death for us. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What? What does that mean he's a lamb? Well, let's go back to, to Moses, and let's talk a little bit about these, the lambs. Or let's even go back to um, 
Adam and Eve coming out of the garden or Abel giving his sacrifice. You see this, this lamb taking the place of a human being, but only Jesus is that. Let me go to Hebrews and he says there's one sacrifice, once for all. And there's no other sacrifice that needs to be made. Why? Because Jesus makes it. Help them understand who Jesus is. They have to have this intellectual knowledge, but then they have to assent to the fact that it's true. Realize this, they can have that intellectual knowledge, and they can even assent to it being true, and yet not be converted. So we know that in James we're told that the demons have the intellectual knowledge about Jesus Christ and who he is. They believe and tremble. But it's not a belief, it's not a faith that converts. We read about King Agrippa and, and, and Paul going before him. Paul laying out the knowledge. And King Agrippa assenting to the fact that it is true. And yet what is his statement? You have almost convinced me. You have almost converted me. I have almost become a Christian. I, I have a relative. I've shared this before. but I have a, It's actually Elaine's relative. Uh, one of her aunts, who knows the gospel, who affirms all the intellectual knowledge about it and assents to the truth of it, but will not put her trust in Jesus Christ because of what it might cost her. I, I love my husband. I don't want this to separate me from him and my relationship with him. So while I believe it is true, I'm not going to put my trust in Jesus because of, of how it might hinder my relationship with my husband. She has the knowledge. She assents to the truth. But she has not personally trusted in him. And that's the third part. That's, that's where true faith is, is a personal trust. You have to have the knowledge. You have to assent to the truth. But then you have to personally believe. You personally have to turn toward the living God, trusting in Jesus alone to save you. And this personal trust is what defines Christianity. We're, we are a religion that says you personally have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a response of faith. So in our text, we're going to ask the second question, who can be converted? And we read here, for they themselves report. So who's reporting? These other communities around them are reporting the kind of reception we've had among you. So what's happening here? Paul and his companions, his group, his band of Mary evangelists, coming into, coming into Thessalonica. And as he comes in, what does he do? He preaches the gospel. That's what he's come to do. He's come to share the gospel. It's not just that they had a big party. They put a banner over, you know, the main street of town. Welcome, Paul. This reception they had of you. They were like dancing in the streets that Paul had come. They gave him the key to the city. No, no, it's not referring to things like that. This reception has to do with embracing them and what? They taught. 
Notice we go uh, earlier in this section here. Go back up to verse 4. But we know, brothers, love by God, that he has chosen you. How? Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. They were convicted of their sin and of their need for a Savior by the preaching of the gospel. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sakes. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For what? For you received what? The Word much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So they received the word. And so we go down to verse 9, and they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you received us. You received us by receiving the word of God preached to you. They are people who heard the gospel that was being preached by Paul and his companions. But not only that, they were those who received that gospel. They were willing to embrace that gospel. And in turn, what does it look like for someone to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's where we get to the second half of verse 9. So how you received and then how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They're people who responded to the gospel. They turned away from their idols to God. Now, understand the world that Paul lives in in Thessalonica. We understand these are legitimate, real idols. I mean, these are statues like that people are worshiping. These are pe- places that people are going to sacrifice things for that. But that is what's going on there. And you say, well, shoo, we don't live in a world like that. Good thing, right? True, we don't. We don't live in a world where there's a temple of Athena down the road, right? Uh, at least I haven't noticed any of you. <laughs> there might be a temple somewhere in here. I don't know. Um, and, and Joliet, I don't know. I haven't found one yet. So, But I wasn't really looking hard. So you can tell me later if you know of one. Um, but we have our own idols, right? I mean, let's not get, let's not get you know too uppity about ourselves. We have our own idols. We have our own things that we worship, that we sinfully have worshipped over God. And the fact is, each one of us have had to turn away from those idols when we're converted and serve the living God. Now. Does it mean we never struggle with them? No, we do. Again, we, we, we've, been, we've been converted, so by God's grace, we, we work at the steakhouse, not at McDonald's. But do we go back to McDonald's sometimes and try to, try to live there? Oh, yeah. yeah. We all have our own idols, whether it's success or fame or work, or we just want to be liked by others. We want to be appreciated. Um, we want to make some more money. Uh, We could name all sorts of stuff. But ultimately, it all boils down. And some of those things, you know, can be good in and of themselves. I mean, when you talk about money, what what does Jesus say? The root of evil is money. The love. The love of. Why would you serve something? 
You serve something because you worship it, because you obey it, because you love it. It's interesting how Paul uses these words here when he writes this, how they have turned to God from idols, what? To serve the living and true God. Their response to the gospel was to turn away from their old life and turn towards a new life in God based on a trust in Jesus Christ. This leads us to a third question. How are you converted? How are you converted? By turning in repentance from your idolatry. Maybe there's someone here today. Maybe you claim to be a Christian. And you know in your heart you don't serve God. You don't love God. You're the farthest away from God you could ever imagine. Maybe, Maybe you're a Christian and you're struggling with sin. That could be. And you need to confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because the gospel isn't just for people who need to be converted, but the gospel is for people who've been converted. Like We need to hear that over and over again. We struggle with sin. We need to hear it. But there might be someone in here who even claims, professes to be a Christian, and yet you know in your heart you've not been converted. I mean, that's my, that's my story. Um, pastor's kid and a missionary kid knowing I was not saved. In kindergarten, uh, my best friend, Benji Buck, raised his hand. I went to a Christian school, and they shared the gospel pretty much every day. And he raised his ha- hand one day. And you know, you know, like all kids, and some adults too, like when they tell you to close your eyes and bow your head, you know, you peek. And so that's what I did. I saw him raise his hand, so I raised my hand. I mean, I heard the gospel since I was little. My parents would always share the gospel with us. So I'm like, okay. And I went out in the hall, and she talked with him, and then she talked with me, and I gave all the right answers. I prayed a little prayer and went back in, ha, ha, ha. Went home and told my parents, yeah, I got saved today. Not really caring anything at all about God or Jesus or trusting him. And so they talked to me again, and I gave all the right answers because I knew all the right answers. And um, Then after that, pastor's kids, missionary kids, I'd be convicted about my need for salvation, but how could I admit I need to be saved now? I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. Now I'm a missionary kid. How can, how can I be the one that needs to be saved? And so that's what I constantly was, my pride was constantly at work in me, keeping me from responding to the gospel. And I would make deals with God. I'd be like, God, if I stop doing this sin, then I'll be okay, right? I knew. I knew the gospel. I knew that didn't work. You can't make deals with God. You know, there's no way you could be good enough. But that's what I was trying to, that's what I was trying to do. And one day when I, a senior, I was a senior in high school, so that's how long I wrestled with this. Senior in high school, um, and I broke down and just said, I can't. I was reading through the book of Hebrews, okay? So unsaved kid, growing up Christian home, reading through the book of Hebrews. I know it's kind of weird, but, and, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he might bring many sons to glory. We see Jesus. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I need Jesus. You can profess everything you want. You can have the intellectual knowledge. You can assent to it being true. But you must have a personal trust in Jesus Christ. You must repent from your own 
idolatry, from your own way of life, from your own way of salvation. I mean, idolatry is a really good image because what are they doing? They want their lives to be good. They want their lives to be better. They want to be saved from something. So what do they do? They sacrifice to their idol. They are deciding how to save their lives. That's what my bargaining with God was. I wanted to be the one to decide how to save my life. But repentance means giving up our way. Giving up our control, giving up our rule, giving up our power, which we don't really have anyway. We just think we do. It's an illusion. In the end, we're all going to burn in hell apart from the grace of God. We don't have any hope. We're trying to just make some hope for us, but there's none there. And so we're meant to turn from that false hope, from that false way of life. We're meant to turn and then what? Embrace the living and true God. To serve Him. To give our lives to Him. That's why Jesus says count the cost. Because turning to God means giving up all that we hoped in and hoping in Him alone and living for Him alone and worshiping Him alone and obeying Him alone. He is King. He is God. He is all in all and everything else we are willing to sacrifice so that we might gain Christ. It's turning in faith to Him, trusting in Him. That's what C is trusting in Jesus. I already talked about this personal trust. Jesus, my Savior. He's my only hope. So therefore, number four, why is conversion vital? What is the foundation of our gospel call? It's not the foundation of the gospel, but it's why we would preach the gospel. It is the foundation of the call. The fact is you actually haven't faithfully preach the gospel until you call that person to repentance and faith. Until you call them to a response. Because that's what the gospel is meant to do. Call us to a response. So our faithfulness is not just to present the truth, but then to say, will you personally Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus alone. Will will you make Jesus king? Will you love him as your only and greatest treasure in life? It is the foundation of our gospel call. And without that understanding of conversion, uh, our gospel isn't full. It isn't, isn't all that it's supposed to be. I mean, what does Jesus say when he comes to preach his good news? What does he say? Repent. It is the foundation of our local and global outreach. Why do we reach out? I mean, we could give we could give a number of other reasons, but they're secondary. Do we want to show the love of Jesus Christ? Well, of course we do. But why? Because we hope that people will see it 
And then as we share the gospel, they will want to experience that love personally, right? Locally, why, do we, why, why would we give up our time? It's not just because we're good Samaritans or just because we're earning favor with God because we're not. It's just because, you know, we want to feel better about ourselves. If all those things are motivations, that's bad. What, what do we want? We want to see people converted. We want to see people that, that God moves from his, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. That God moves from his wrath to his family. These men that we want to meet with, we want to see them converted. If we just make their life better, they're going to hate us in eternity, aren't they? If that's all we were there for, and we never share the gospel with them, huh, when they get to the Trinity, they're going to look at us and say, what? What were you doing? <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? This is the foundation of why we do Why do we support our missionaries? Because we want to see people in other places saved. And therefore, it is the foundation of our motivation for our mission statement there of giving out the gospel. Our understanding of conversion should motivate us. And what is so amazing is that over and over again, what do we read in Scripture? We read of people just like the Thessalonians who heard God's word and they're converted. They respond with repentance and faith. We look around the room here and we see people who heard the word of God, who heard the gospel and were converted. If you're here today and you're one of those people, you know from personal experience what it is like to hear the word of God and respond with repentance and faith to that gospel preached. And in turn, remembering that, seeing these people, hearing this, it should motivate us because why? This is, this is God's mission for us. Does it mean every person we share the gospel is going to be converted? No, but it does mean that some will. Like that's what we see consistently throughout the scripture in our lives represented here. Some will, God still converts people. Therefore, we should be motivated to give out that gospel because who knows who might respond. We don't, God does. So we should be faithful, should motivate us to share the gospel. So who do you know? Who do you know right now? Think of, think of one. Two people right now who you know, who God has brought into your life, and you have yet to share the gospel with, or yet to call them to respond. You don't need to do it arrogantly, and you don't need to do it, you don't need to get up in their face, respond now or else. That's, that's not what we're saying. But out of love, compassion for them, would you respond? And if they're not ready, say, well, what is hindering you? Let's work through that. Let's talk through that. Let's, is there stuff you don't understand? Is there stuff you're fighting with? Is there sacrifices you're not willing to make, like my, my, my wife's aunt? Like, let's talk through that. Let's work through it. Let's, let's continue to pursue this conversation. You know, the fact that they say, no, I'm not ready to do that, doesn't mean that it's all over, right? What are we doing? We're continuing to push in with the gospel into their lives and speak into the areas in which they struggle. 
praying that God, through the Holy Spirit, would convict them of sin and of their need for Jesus and that they would truly respond. I hope you have a name. I just thought of someone. I want to take a minute here. I have a name. I want to take a minute. Would you bow with me and just pray for that person? But not only that, pray that you would be faithful, that God would open a door in the very near future for you to speak the gospel and call them to conversion. That you would be faithful to that. And that if God wills, he would convert them. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of conversion. For such grace that is bestowed upon us, undeserving as we are. Lord, I pray that our hearts would find their satisfaction in you, be content in you, and, and know your love and express our love to you. But I pray that we would not be content in the lost state of those around us. But help us to embrace the ministry that you have included us in. Help us to see the means that you use of gospel being shared and that we are meant to be your hands and feet in the places you have put us. We are meant to be the light and the salt that goes in shares the gospel. Lord, give us that kind of motivation to proclaim your name because we have tasted and we have seen your goodness through our own conversion. And now we desire that you might convert those around us. Lord, give us grace. Let us be winsome. Let us be loving. Let us be, let us be compassionate. But part of that comes from the fact that we don't want anyone to experience your wrath for eternity. Let us be faithful ambassadors of your truth that through our efforts we might celebrate the new life that you bring to your people. May we see souls saved. In Jesus' name we pray.